Yes, that all goes to Charity Water, so thank you very much for that. We're not opening a bar back in the corner, though. Eh, we'll see what happens in the future. Okay. We are making our way through the ancient book of Ecclesiastes in here. It's one of the more two famous books of wisdom in the Old Testament portion of the Scripture. And Ecclesiastes is full of wisdom, but as I said a couple of weeks ago, it's alternative wisdom. It's quirky, weird wisdom. It's wisdom for the people that have realized you can do all the right things, say all the right things, and pray all the right things, and yet your life still deteriorates into a giant dumpster fire. That's what Ecclesiastes is for. So I love it. I just think it's great. And today we're going to read a verse that contains three pick-me-up lines. Not pickup lines. The lines you're going to hear today are not going to help you get a date. You can try, okay, with them, but they won't. But they're pick-me-up lines because the first two will, will ignite hope in your life, and the last one will usher in a sense of peace. So let's read out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, just one verse today, verse 11. He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This is an amazing verse. It's deep. It's almost like philosophy, okay? So let me go over the three main lines out of here. Number one, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, first of all, let's understand that the writer of Ecclesiastes, which is this mystery figure known as Coelet or the teacher. Some people think it's Solomon, but we don't know for sure. But it's Coelet. He is using hyperbole here. Some things are ugly. They're always going to be ugly. Like, let's put up this image, okay? This will always be ugly. Look at that. Lord have mercy. I don't even know what kind of animal that is. It's a cat. When I looked it up, it's some sort of a cat, but... Scary cat, okay? That cat's always going to be ugly. I'm sorry, you cat lovers, but that is not cute, all right? Today, I want us to know something that hyperbole aside, this is such a cool line because right in the midst of all the troubling, painful, ugly things that the teacher notices in the world, he also notices hope. This verse shows us something. It shows us this whole thing, life, existence, the world is heading somewhere and it's heading somewhere good. It's heading towards beauty. Let's first talk about this process of heading towards beauty in our own personal lives, okay? Let's talk about that. It's hard for me, and I'm sure it's hard for some of you, to look at my life and thinking, wow, I'm really heading towards beauty. I'm getting more beautiful by the day. It's hard for me to think that way. It's hard for me to think any significant transformation is happening at all. I want to put, <clears throat> put up a line here by a 25-year-old girl. Excuse me, my throat's a little dry. An amazing person... And look what she says about her own life. Here I feel myself becoming a worse person. Maybe you can relate. Maybe every year you think to yourself when you look back on New Year's Eve, wow, I'm a worse version of myself this year than I was the year before. I'm more angry, more fearful, more indignant, more, more judgmental, etc., etc., that's because we all tend to focus on the negative in our lives, but that's simply not true. You're becoming more beautiful by the day because that's the process that Jesus has you in the moment you start to follow him. He's got you in a beautifi beautification process, okay? We're like an amazing work of art. 
We're in progress, but we're getting there. And all amazing works of art start kind of ugly. They start with a couple of blotches of paint on a canvas or an unformed lump of clay on a table or some mismatched fabrics on the floor or an unfinished melody. They start ugly, but they get there, and that's us. We're a work in progress, but we arrive at beauty. I know this because I know what God is like, and I know he loves us where we're at because that's how he is, but he loves us too much to let us stay where we're at. He loves us with a special kind of love. It's actually a love that the Greeks had a word for. It's the word agape. Now, agape is amazing, okay? Agape is the word for love that's used in John 3.16, that famous verse that says, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. So agape isn't this selfish love. Agape is this selfless love that gives and transforms us. I'm going to show you a quote. Oh, my gosh, I hope you memorize this quote, okay? This is such a good quote about agape-type love. Agape doesn't love somebody because they're worthy. Agape makes them worthy by the strength and power of its love. And the next slide. Agape doesn't love somebody because they're beautiful. Agape loves in such a way that it makes them beautiful. So yeah, God is loving us into our future. He's loving us into beauty. And this process of beautification doesn't stop there. It actually happens on a much grander scale. Not only are we heading towards beauty, but the whole world's heading towards beauty. And that is an especially hard concept for me to wrap my little head around Because right now when I look at the world and watch the news and watch TV or go to Oregon games sometimes, all I see is ugliness, 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 okay? But that all changes when we see things through a different filter, when we see through the filter of hope. Martin Luther King in one of his speeches quoted somebody else, but he famously said this. He said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, And I love that. Here's a guy that was standing in the midst of so much ugliness, so much injustice. He was standing in the midst of hatred, racism, violence, and death threats. And yet he saw that the world was heading towards something better. Deep down, we all know this is true. We know there's a point to all this, that life has a purpose and God has plans. So our faith in Jesus is not an evacuation plan where we notice the ugliness in the world and we close our eyes to it, try to ignore it, or even hide from it. No, that's not what our faith is about at all. Our faith is about partnering with God in getting things to head towards beauty. There's another cool Greek word, the word telos. And telos just means the end game of something. It's, it's original purpose. It's finishing line. That's what telos means. Like something you can see in the future that's supposed to happen and is going to happen. Like the word telescope, okay? That's what telos means. God's telos, his end game for the world is beauty. So when ugliness rears its ugly head around us, which it always does, Our response isn't to hide. Our response is not to give up and to ignore it and to complain and to curse the darkness. Our response is to change it. That's why we cheer the efforts of people who have seen and experienced the ugliness that happens in this world, and they do something about it. Like the people that have struggled through the ugliness of addiction, and now they're running NA meetings or AA meetings for other people. Or the people who have survived the ugliness of cancer, and now they go with their friends to the nuke and puke cancer treatment appointments, okay? 
or the people that have, have seen the ugliness of homelessness and so now they help others, you know, work through the process of, of becoming housed again. Or how about the people that have suffered grief and loss? It's almost unbearable. And now they work with other people to comfort them through their own personal grief and loss. Or the people that, that clothe the naked or the people who give water, shameless plug for charity water, to the thirsty, okay? These are people who have seen ugliness, but they don't stop there. Instead, they press the gas and get the whole thing heading towards beauty. There's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's not a super well-known movie, but it's, uh, and I watched it on my way back from Boston, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. I rewatched it again. And I just love it because I love how optimistic the main character is. And he's this Indian guy that's running a hotel in India. And he says this. It's a famous line in the movie. He says, everything will be all right in the end. So if it's not all right, it's not the end. And I thought, well, that's so optimistic. And then I thought, that's true, though, especially in lieu of this verse in Ecclesiastes. Things are not all right at the moment. Our lives aren't completely beautiful. The world definitely isn't completely beautiful. But that's because it's not the end, because the end, the telos of all things, is beauty. I hope you can let hope help you to see that today. Second line, he has set eternity in the hearts of mankind. This is the next line that ignites hope in our hearts, and let me tell you why. First of all, this verse is about timelessness. Now, there are a lot of things in our culture that are considered timeless. They're even labeled timeless. They were cool. They were relevant. They were good right out of the chute, and through the decades, they're going to remain cool and relevant and good. Things like a 67 Corvette, it's still cool. It will always be cool. Pepperoni pizza. It was good the first time anybody ever made it. It will always be good, okay? That's true, too. Or how about the song Shout you sing at the Oregon Games? It's an old song, but it remained relevant through the decades, and we'll probably sing it for the next millennial, okay? Things like that. These things are always relevant. They're timeless, and so are we. We are timeless. You see, time is actually nothing more than an illusion or mirage, It really is. It's something we're confined by at the moment, but we won't always be. We won't always be. And even time right now is an accordion-like substance. It stretches and expands and then shrinks. It lengthens and it shortens. Think about this. I don't know if if you've ever driven... I'm a little tongue-tied right there. I don't know if you've ever made the drive from Reno, Nevada to Las Vegas. If you haven't, try not to. Okay, but when you drive from Reno to Las Vegas, which I have, in the middle of that trip, there is nothing. There is nothing. That's why they test bombs in Nevada, okay? There is nothing but sagebrush and jackrabbits and dirt. And you're driving through that, and people ask you, well, how long did it take you to drive from Reno to Las Vegas? And your answer is always the same forever, because somewhere something happens in between those two cities, and time slows down. It's like it almost stops. Or what about algebra class? Sorry, I'm going to talk about math right now, Matt and Jesse, okay? But algebra class in high school, for most of us, normal people, okay? You're in algebra class, and you're sitting in your desk for what seems like decades, and you look up at the clock, and it's 2.30, and you're going, oh my gosh, okay, I'm going to be okay. I only got a half an hour to go. So then you sit in your desk for what seems like an eternity longer, and you look at the clock, and it's 2.37, and you think, how can that be? I'll tell you how it can be. 
time slows down in algebra class. I'm sure there's an equation for it, okay? That's what happens. And the opposite also happens. When you first fall in love with somebody, even people like me who I do not like talking on the phone, most of you that know me well know that, but when you first fall in love with somebody, you'll call them and you'll talk to them and you'll think, I've only been talking to them for a few minutes, and you look down, and it's been an hour and a half. You're going, oh my gosh, time sped up. Or how about when you take your family on a vacation to Hawaii for two weeks, and then suddenly it's the last day there, and you go, it can't be the last day here. We've only been here two days, and then you realize, no, it's been 14. Time sped up, okay? We are timeless. We are timeless. And there are times when time seems to speed up, and there's times when it seems to slow way down. And there's also moments when time disappears. This is the cool part. This is when the plot thickens. The Hebrew word that's used for eternity in this line is the Hebrew word, it's a phrase actually, ha-olam. It can mean a season of time, but it also can mean an experience that is not connected to time. A moment when time disappears. See, we are timeless, and deep down we know it. We know we're not just here to live and then die, and then the lights go out and the show's over. There's more to it than that. There's more to us than that. And your heart bears witness to that truth that you're timeless because God has placed eternity, or ha-olam, in your heart. Our bodies, however, are not timeless. Time takes its toll on our bodies. It's taken its toll on all of our bodies. Our bodies start to creak and groan, and ache, and shrink, okay, and age. That's what happens, okay, but our hearts don't because our hearts are ageless. Inside, we're still young. That's why as you age, you can no longer run as fast as you used to, or lift as heavy a things as you used to, or dunk a basketball like I used to be able to do. You can't do that because your body is aging, but you can still love as well as you ever could because though your body's aging, your heart isn't. Your heart's still young and full of vitality, and it's vibrant, and it can love as well as it ever could when you were young. And check this out. In Psalm 16, it says, in his presence is fullness of joy. There are going to be moments where you experience this, where you're aware of the nearness and goodness of God, and you're just basking in his presence, and your heart explodes with this sense of joy. And what happens in those moments? Time disappears. There is no time in those moments. There's just presence and goodness. So, when we, let me wrap it all up here, when we spend time loving people or when we spend time basking in the joy of God's presence, what happens? We enter into the realm of ha-olam. We experience timeless moments, moments that give us a glimpse right now of how things will be forever someday when we're no longer confined by time. One more thing about that word eternity that's used there. It's possible, if I, I've mentioned this before in other sermons, it's possible for people to go through life like the walking dead, to have zombified souls where they're existing, but they're not really thriving. They're alive, but they're not fully alive. They have zombified souls. When Jesus talked about eternal life, you got to remember he grew up in a Jewish culture thousands of years ago. And when he talked about uh, eternal life, he didn't talk about some future destination in the clouds. That's not what it was. He wasn't talking about something that was then and there when he mentioned eternal life. He was talking about something that was here and now. 
Eternal life for Jesus meant entering in to the fullness of life that God has for you right now. So for Jesus, eternal life, timelessness, starts now. Here's another super good quote, a bit of a quote fest in my message today, but this is so good. To say it again, eternal life is less about a kind of time that starts when we die and more about a quality and vitality of life now, right now, in connection with God. Doesn't this fill you with hope? What it's saying is that we are timeless and our hearts bear witness to that and our timelessness, our eternal life, starts right now on this side of heaven. You don't have to wait for that, all right? Now the last line. Yet they can't fathom what God has done. Now at first, when you think about that line, you're thinking, well, Tim, that doesn't bring me a sense of peace knowing that I can't figure God out. But it is. The fact that we can't fathom all that God is and all that he's up to is a very, very good thing and it does bring us peace. Let me explain. Because truth be told, we can't even fathom all the mysteries of this quirky, weird world we live in. A couple of weeks ago, I went out to coffee with Matt, who's a physicist, because I was reading a lot about um, the theory of relativity. And I said, Matt, I can't understand the theory of relativity. He goes, I'll explain it to you. So he went out to coffee, and he explained it to me, and I don't understand it still, Matt. I don't. And he even gave me the theory of relativity for dummies version, okay? And sadly, I still don't understand the theory of relativity. I can't wrap my head around the fact that if you go really fast, you age less. That just doesn't make sense. I'm thinking if I'm in a rocket ship going the speed of light, I'm still aging in the rocket ship. I'm getting old, and I'm singing 60s music or whatever, okay? I just am, I, I can't wrap my head around it. I just can't, okay? It is a mystery to me. I think the theory of relativity might be just a joke that really smart people play on the rest of us. Like going to a physicist convention, whatever those are called, Matt, and the physicist stands up and go, hey, fellow physicists, you won't believe what I got the normals to buy into. I told them that if you go fast enough, you won't age, and now they're out there driving like maniacs trying to recapture their youth. We're going to have those people out of the gene pool in no time. That's what it seems like to me. But, And it's not just the mysteries of the universe that I can't wrap my head around. I don't even understand all the mysteries about the Bible. I've studied the Bible for over 40 years of my life, read countless commentaries and all kinds of theological books, and there's still some parts that I read, and I look at it and go, yeah, I don't get it. I don't, not only do I not get it, I wish that wasn't even in the Bible. <laughs> I don't even know how it made the Bible, like most of the book of Revelation, that kind of stuff, okay? Now, some people think, Tim, you shouldn't admit that, because pastors are supposed to have all the answers, <laughs> Not this one, okay? I don't even have all the questions yet, okay? I definitely don't have all the answers. Well, Tim, why did God make mosquitoes? Tim, how can Jesus be fully human and fully God at the same time? Tim, what's up with the whole Trinity, the three-in-one thing? Tim, why are there not more miracles? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, okay? We all don't know. We can't fathom the mysteries contained in this world. We can't fathom the mysteries contained in the Bible. We definitely can't understand and fully comprehend God because he's bigger than both of those things. We don't have all the answers, and that fries our circuits because we've been trained to think that more information is the answer, that we can eventually figure everything out. I mean, we have the Internet, right? Somewhere out on the Internet, all the answers are there, right? 
Wrong. They're not, okay? And when we discover that we can't figure out all that God is up to, doubts come in like a storm, and that is a good thing. Did you catch what I'm saying there? That is an unusual statement. When doubts flood into your life, that's a good thing. Don't be afraid of your doubts. True faith is a constant dialogue with your doubts. Doubt isn't the opposite of faith. Doubt is one of faith's favorite dance partners. In fact, if you don't have any doubts, you don't really have faith. What you have is certainty. And if you have certainty, you don't really have a relationship with the true God. What you've got a relationship with is a teeny tiny little idol you conjured up in your own mind that you can fully understand and control. The minute you've got God figured out with nice, neat, tidy little boxes and definitions in line, you're not dealing with God anymore, all right? So we have to be at peace with the not knowing. We have to center ourselves in the non-anxious presence of God, knowing that he has all the answers, even though we don't and we never will. Think of it like this. This helps me, but this is just how my mind works, okay? Years of youth ministry permanently warp me. Some of you talk to your dogs, okay? And I'm not talking about one-line commands like go, sit, fetch, stay. I'm talking full-on sentences and conversations. You know who you are. I may or may not be one of you, but you know who you are, okay? You talk to your dogs. But here is the harsh reality. Your dog doesn't fully comprehend what you're saying to it. A few words maybe at best. Our dog has like an eight to nine word vocabulary. I think we counted the other day. And our dog's super smart. Your dog only probably knows two or three, <laughs> okay? That's us with God. Our understanding of him is growing and expanding every day, and that's great, but we're still just scratching the surface. We're not going to fully comprehend him because he's infinite. So we have to embrace the not knowing. We have to embrace the limits of our understanding. We have to embrace doubt. We have to embrace faith, and we have to embrace a God who is bigger than we can comprehend, but also closer than we can imagine. We get to embrace that too. And that fills us with peace. Oh, it's such a peaceful experience to admit you don't have all the answers. That's what our faith in God is all about. He's the answer. We can have presence, and that's much better than the answers. Let me pray for us, can I? Thank you, God, that the telos of our lives in this world is beauty. Please use that knowledge, Lord, to fill us with hope, but also to get us in the game, to have us partner with you in getting things to move towards beauty. And thank you also, Lord, for placing ha-olam, eternity, in our hearts. We are forever, and our full and forever life starts right now. Oh, Lord, let that truth ignite hope in us as well. And thank you, lastly, Lord, for peace. It freaks us out. It scares us to admit that we don't have all the answers. It scares us to admit that we have doubts. But thank you, we can center ourselves in your presence, Lord. And our fear doesn't stand a chance when we're standing in your love, Lord. We're able to dance with our doubts and embrace them and embrace true faith and embrace you. Thank you, Lord, for this little bit of alternative wisdom out of a, such a cool and quirky book. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Everyone said?
Amen. Speaking of fear, before you go, first of all, there's more wine back there. Buy that. Turn it into water. But second of all, please do sign up for baptism. If you have any questions about that, you can come and talk to me about it. Don't be afraid because it's a powerful way to take the next step in your faith. So I encourage you to do that. And your children are welcome to be baptized as well. All right? Thank you so much. Have a glorious week. Yay, go Ducks, and, and yay that the Huskies lost too. Okay. Have a great week. <laughs>